<clears throat> well, as you can see, I don't know what's going on. The uh, kids did go to Kids Connect because there was a teacher, and anyways, it's all working out. Um, you know, it takes a while to kind of get back into the rhythm and feel of leading a service and that sort of thing, so I'm discovering again, oh yeah, <laughs> you got to think on your feet. The other thing, <clears throat> about two songs ago, I suddenly got an aura in this eye, and if you have migraines, you know what that means. Uh, it's coming, so I took two pills and they're going. What it does, though, for about 20 minutes, it's really hard to read. <clears throat> so I want to go by memory as much as I can. We'll make it through. We are in Advent, too, as we count down to Christmas. And uh, most of the time, we read the two familiar passages about the Nativity, Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a different series as we look at the other narratives that Scripture does have some other times when it talks about the coming of Jesus and, and what that means. And uh, they're short usually, but this is called the other birth narratives. Now, Pastor Darren's preaching series for the fall was through the book of Philippians. And a few weeks ago, he focused on Philippians chapter 2. That's the passage we're going to look at again today. I want to check that one out. But first, let me take you back to 1651 in England. It was the Battle of Worcester, and it took place on 3 September 1651. Now, it was the end of the English Civil War. The argument was whether we should have a king or not. The Parliament, under Oliver Cromwell, had defeated the Royalists. And the Royalists had an attempt to bring back the monarchy under Charles II. Uh, though this, of course, is an ancestor to our current king. It seems weird to be saying that. Our current king, King Charles III. Now, the difficulty in the 17th century was that Charles II followed a Catholic faith while much of the English population held to a Protestant understanding of the Christian faith. So the Reformation split between the Protestants and the Catholics took on political tones in most of Europe, and it was down and dirty, especially in England. After the battle with Oliver Cromwell, the Protestant general, Charles II needed to escape the Parliamentarian army. The problem was Charles II stood six foot two when most of the men within the England, within Europe at that time, would be less than five foot ten. So he kind of stuck out. He was a tall guy. Lady Jane Lane had a military pass to travel with a servant to a friend having a baby. So she was able to get through the parliamentarian lines. So they disguised King Charles as a farmer's son. And it's interesting, you read the account, there was a number of very awkward attempts. Uh, they're actually very comedic, as King Charles, who was raised in the palaces and everything, is trying to pass himself off as a peasant. And he doesn't do a very good job. King Charles was sheltered by a network of Catholic royalist families along the Welsh border. 
Now, they had been smuggling Catholic priests around the country since the repression by Elizabeth I. Charles was constantly on the move from one hiding place to another. One of those hiding places was at Mosley Hall, and this is known as the Priest Hole. And uh, you would find a number of mansions, uh, noblemen's homes, all along that Welsh border. And you can go there today, you can go through tours, and they will take you into the priest hole. So they are uh, hidden places. Some of them are, are fantastic, the way they hid in, the, in these places. But this was, uh, Charles was taken down into the priest hole as the, uh, the soldiers were coming to, to look in all the houses, find that king. But the Catholics hid the priest during a raid. They became known as the priest hole. And uh, when Cromwell's men searched the precincts, Charles hid himself down in that hole. Now, let's jump ahead four centuries. The year is 2003. In the country of Iraq, the president at the time, Saddam Hussein, this once proud dictator who once made the nation's quake, was found disheveled, humiliated in a rat hole at the back of a farm. And interesting, it was just across the river from one of his 50-odd palaces that were fitted out with the finest Italian marble and gold. And now he was in a cramped hole in the ground, hiding from an angry enemy troops. In a matter of months, Saddam had gone from magnificent splendor to a squalid rat hole. 2,000 years ago, God made a similar journey. God, in the person of Jesus, laid aside his heavenly glory in order to take up residence in the squalid rat hole of sin. Now, there's a big difference. God's journey was one of choice. Charles II and Saddam, it was one of necessity to save their skin. In Jesus' case, it was a matter of being willing to give up his skin. He gave up everything he had to enter this world. Now, don't get me wrong. Creation does have a splendor left over from a pre-fall state. There are many wonderful things on this earth, majestic things in this physical universe. Yet in comparison to heaven and the presence of God, we live on a sin-infested earth that can be described as the rat hole. Philippians chapter 2, if you read through Philippians 2, you will begin to see it is somewhat like a hymn, and most probably it was a, an early hymn in the early church, and Paul was simply writing it down saying, this is what we believe, this is what you sing every Sabbath, every Sunday. Philippians 2, 5 to 6, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. We learn three things from this passage in Philippians. First, Jesus is God, the Christ. The word Christ is not his surname. It isn't Jesus Christ of the family of Christ. No, it is Jesus Messiah. Christ is the word Messiah in Hebrew, and it, it simply says this is who he is, Jesus the King, Jesus Messiah, the Anointed One, Yeshua, Jesus. And it's a baby that we celebrate at Christmas time. He was born to Mary, that guy, you know, that one you read about in this story, the one that Christmas story is all about, 
that guy, who being in very nature God. Now that's a very powerful statement. Equality with God. It's very controversial. It's very important. It is one of the central beliefs of the Christian faith. Jesus is God. It causes us to wander. Put that slide up there. See that wander? Spelt it wrong? <clears throat> Have you seen the commercial on Hyundai? Like they say in Korean, wa. Like wow, but more. Wa is the feeling you get on an adventure in the mountains. It's the roar of the crowd when the goal light clicks on. Or seeing something you've never seen before. Wa is a celebration, a victory, a smile, and a promise. Wa is what God does. God makes wa. <laughs> Not Hyundai. God does. Something special happened when the Lord Jesus came to earth. John 1.14 says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You've maybe heard that word, incarnation. It doesn't mean we live in a car. We do live in a carnation, um, but incarnation simply is from the Latin incarnate. Carne means flesh. Enfleshment, the enfleshment of God. God became flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians says, for in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Everything about God lives in Jesus. The incarnation, the enfleshment. He's 100% God, divine, yet still 100% physical human. He identified with the shepherds. He came for the poorest and the humble. You imagine the Essene in heaven for a moment. All the splendor of heaven is at Jesus' beck and call. God the Father, God the Holy Spirit are his constant companions. Legions of angels are at his disposal. He is life. He glows like the sun in full strength. He is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And the sun sets all of this aside and comes down to live in our rat hole. Not because he's forced to by circumstances, but because he loves us. Humility is one of the greatest characteristics of love. In humility, Jesus set aside his glory and came to live in our rat hole. In humility, he came to save us from our rat hole because we couldn't save ourselves. In humility, he came to take us by the hand and lead us out of a rat hole to heavenly mansions. There was a story of a farmer. Now, this farmer did not believe in God. He let others know how he felt about his religious beliefs. But his wife did believe, and she was taking the children to Christmas Eve service. He said, no thanks, I'm staying here, that story's nonsense. Why would God lower himself to come to earth as a man? He stayed home. Now it was blowing snow outside, and he sat down in front of the fire for the evening and was all content until he heard a loud thump on the window. And then another thump. He ventured outside and he saw a flock of wild geese that were caught in the snowstorm. They were stranded on his farm. They flew around the field in low circles, blindly, aimlessly. They just couldn't get anywhere. A couple of the birds had flown into his window thinking to find shelter. He felt sorry for the geese. The barn would be a great place for them to wait out the storm. So he opened the doors of the barn and he waited, hoping they would notice and go inside, but nothing happened. 
He tried to get their attention, but that scared them. He made a breadcrumb trail leading to the barn. <laughs> they still didn't catch on. He was getting frustrated. He tried to herd them toward the barn, but that was like herding cats. They were scattered in every direction. Why won't they follow me? Can't they see this is the only place where they can survive the storm? He realized they wouldn't follow a human. He says, oh, if only I were a goose, then I could save them. But he had an idea. He went into the barn, got one of his own geese, carried it in his arms as he circled around behind the flock of wild geese, and then he released the tame geese, goose. His goose flew through the flock and straight into the barn, and one by one, the other geese followed to safety. If only I were a goose, then I could save them. Why would God want to be like us? Suddenly, it all made sense. This is what God had done. Philippians 2, verse 7, But God, but Jesus, made himself nothing. The Greek word for this, made himself nothing, is, is kenosis. It means self-emptying. Jesus emptied himself. You know, many have imitated Jesus in the kenosis, self-emptying. John the Baptist, remember what he said? He displayed this attitude when he said of Jesus, he must become greater, I must become less. 3,000 years later, there was a baby boy born in 270 A.D. He was a son of wealthy parents, but he was orphaned when they died, and he was in his, just in his teen years. And he inherited a wealthy estate. However, he felt the call of God on his life, and he dedicated himself to ministry. He became a pastor of a congregation in Myra in what is now Turkey. It was a dangerous time to be a leader of a Christian group in the Roman Empire. He went to prison under the persecution of Emperor Diocletian. It was one of the largest persecutions of Christians that ever happened. Later, he was asked to become the bishop of Myra, the lead pastor of a whole city. Throughout his time in ministry, he used his wealth for others, not for himself. And it led to many stories that circulated about him. Nicholas of Myra died December 6, 343. St. Nicholas Day is December 6. That's on Tuesday. St. Nicholas in the east. The Dutch called him Sinterklaas. And the English kids in New York played with the Dutch kids in New York City. And they heard them talking about Sinterklaas coming to bring presents. And they went home to their moms and dad and said, Mom, when's Santa Claus coming to our house? And there grew up the stories of Santa Claus. Is there a Santa Claus? Yes, Virginia. There was a Santa Claus. He was a follower of Jesus who made a big difference in the kingdom, for the kingdom in this world. His attitude was the same as that of Jesus Christ. He became nothing, and God accomplished something. Charles Thomas Studd, C.T. Studd for short, came from a very wealthy family in England. He was a superstar cricket player. If he lived today, you would be collecting his sports card. He emptied himself of his wealth. He left it all behind, became a missionary in China, India, and Africa. 
Jesus is God. But Jesus is also Savior, Philippians 2, 7-8, but made himself nothing, tearing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus was a servant. The King of Kings, served by legions of angels, became a servant on this world as he taught and healed on the front lines of making a difference. He became a servant. Jesus was humble. The Lord of Lords, who was worthy of praise, stripped himself of his divine glory to come and die at the hands of those who should have worshipped him. Jesus was a servant. Jesus was humble. Jesus was obedient. The Lord of glory, he was very God of very God. He had inherent life in him. He became obedient to the point of suffering a common criminal's death so that we could be slave, saved. <clears throat> Why would God Almighty humble himself like this? Did he see some special merit in us? No. Did we deserve his love? No. He came to our rat hole because he loved us. People talk about the reason for the season. You've seen the message, haven't you? Jesus is the reason for the season. How many have heard that? Yeah, how many have said that? How many of it hung somewhere in their house, on the wall somewhere? Yeah, or on the Christmas tree. You got it. They're great words. But that first Christmas, the reason for the season was not Jesus. It was us. We were the reason for the season. Jesus came to die for us. We were the original reason for the season. He came to save us. Jesus is Savior. What was humanity's reaction to that greatest of miracles? Mostly our reaction was one of pride. Because of our pride, we rejected him. We were content to stay tucked away in our little rat hole, hiding from the only one who could save us. In our pride, we think that there's some merit in God saving us. Some even think that they can earn that salvation. In our pride, we don't want to descend like he did. We want to be lifted up. In our pride, we promote ourselves and we reject his way of humility. Because Jesus is Savior, it should cause us to surrender. Surrender to God. It means unconditional surrender. Often we're not willing to make an unconditional surrender to our Lord. We want to hang on to some old part of our lives. And God isn't interested in our negotiation. He's not interested in our merit. He is interested in our unconditional surrender. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. What is being asked of us? to develop and imitate that same attitude that Jesus had, how we live our lives. These are the attitudes of unconditional surrender, servanthood, humility, obedience. When was the last time you lowered yourself to serve someone? When was the last time you parted with a few dollars to buy something for someone other than your immediate family? When was the last time you obeyed our Lord's command in Matthew 5, 25 to feed the hungry, to give a drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to visit the sick, to visit those in prison. 
The only way this is going to happen is if we allow Jesus Christ to come in and take residence in our hearts. He is the only one who can make it possible. That is the same attitude of Christ. This is the true attitude of Christmas. Pastor Charles Swindoll uh, had a great poem about this. He says, if our greatest need had been an information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness, so God sent us a savior. None of us are ever going to feel at home until we take the outstretched hand of Jesus Christ and allow him to lead us out of the rat hole. If we're not willing to surrender everything, we remain in the rat hole. If we're willing, and if we keep Jesus at arm's length, we resist his overture of love, we remain trapped. If we attempt to work out our own salvation, we remain in our prison. Jesus came to show us the way. Jesus came to transfer to us some of his rights and privileges. Back in 1891, 1891, Robert Louis Stevenson, you've probably read some of his books, uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Kidnapped, Treasure Island. Well, Robert gave an unusual gift to the daughter of a friend of his, Henry Ide. Henry once joked that Christmas was not the happiest day of the year in his household. His 14-year-old daughter, Annie, had been born on Christmas Day. And she complained she got cheated out of a separate birthday party. Mr. Stevenson came up with the idea of giving away his birthday. So he drew up a legal document transferring all of the rights and privileges of his birthday, November 13th to Miss Annie H. Hyde. And from that day on, Annie celebrated her birthday on November 13. Robert Louis Stevenson was not the first to transfer his rights and privileges to someone else. Jesus became mortal that we, he might transfer some of his immortality to us. Jesus became human that he might transfer the inheritance of the kingdom to us. Jesus became a servant that he might transfer to us the status of sons and daughters of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is Savior. Lastly, Jesus is Lord. How can he do all of this for us? Because he is Lord Verses 9 to 11. Therefore God has exalted him to the highest place, given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because of what Jesus did for us, what will be our response? Jesus is God. It will cause us to wander. Jesus is Savior. It causes us to Surrender. Jesus is Lord, Master, Boss, and it causes us to worship, to throw ourselves down in worship. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or powers or dominion, 
rulers or dominions, all things were created by him and for him. Everything was created for him. It causes us to worship. We were created to worship. You and I were made to worship. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. We will worship whether because God, Jesus is divine. Jesus became human for a reason, not for sentimental holidays, not to lead nations, not to command armies. Jesus came to set us free. He left his home so that we could feel at home. And he wants to take us by the hand and lead us out of that hole. We will remain spiritually homeless until we take his hand. Over a thousand years ago, God descended into our rat hole. We receive an amazing set of gifts. The gifts are free to us if we accept him. But it doesn't mean that a price wasn't paid. Jesus paid the price. Jesus got a stable for his birth so that we would be born to an eternal home in heaven. Jesus got the likeness of sinful flesh so that we would gain the likeness of Christ. Jesus got to take on our sin so that we could take on his salvation. Jesus got rejection so that we could gain redemption. Jesus got a cross so that we could gain a crown. Jesus was stripped of his few earthly garments so that we would be clothed with heavenly glory. Jesus got a word, world of darkness so that we might gain a world of light. Jesus got death so that we might gain life. Jesus was put down so that we might be lifted up. You and I will make the transition from the squalid rat hole of sin to the glorious heavenly city, but only because Jesus was willing to make the transition from his palace to our rat hole. So, you remember the mousetrap game I talked about at the beginning as we talked about rat traps? We looked at Grandpa's basement. Some engineering students were asked by Coca-Cola to come up with an outrageous way to share a Coke during the Share a Coke advertising campaign a number of years ago. Here is a video of what these engineering students came up with. Hey guys, I'm I Justine. And I'm Josh, aka the Computer Nerd 01. Coca-Cola asked us to come up with the most outrageous way to share a Coke. We came up with a bunch of great ideas. We decided to do them all in one epic machine. So we found a bunch of engineering students to make it happen. There's only one problem. We gotta get this thing done by the end of finals. It's crunch time. Let's go. No, no, no. Uh, hey, can we use your mattress for something? This drums are heavy. What are they doing? Those will be good. You can use those. We got more tools. Good. Yeah, good. Go. All right, I'm gonna plug it in first. That would be good. Cool. Good. Okay, roll it up. Yeah, charging. Let's test it out. What? Trust me, it'll work. Oh, oh sick! Oh, this guy right here is about to go flying into the sky. Can't wait. Oh, oh, oh my God! Who doesn't love angry nerds? 
We are like down to the wire. I'm having a ton of issues with this earlier in the day. But we might have got him figured out. Go! I think that'll work. Is everybody ready? Yeah. All right! Three, two, one! Yeah. to say Jesus went to a lot of trouble to share heaven with us. In humility, he emptied himself so that we could be exalted. Many have imitated Jesus. Nicholas of Myra, John the Baptist, C.T. Studd, says our attitude should be the same. He must become greater I must become less. In that uh, Christmas song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, there's a verse that says, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. It means uh, see the true God in the flesh in the person of Jesus. Veiled in flesh, it's hidden in flesh. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. God became flesh so that we could be with God. Let's pray together.